0: Welcome to the Self Made Expert Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Morgan, and I love speaking with people who are cultivating economically valuable expertise outside the world of academia and the licensed professions. Some of these conversations end up on this podcast. You can learn more about my work helping indie consultants build an expertise moat at PhilipMorganConsulting.com. Alistair McDermott. Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline podcast. I almost forgot the name of this podcast. It's been a while since I've interviewed anybody. Folks Mm -hmm. listening um, might benefit from knowing that I've known Alistair for a while. He's been in a few workshops I've offered. He's hired me here and there for advice. And I want the listeners to know the Alistair that I know, which... I don't know what you can compress, Alistair, into the next minute or two by way of introduction. But I know you live in a beautiful area on the coast in Ireland, and maybe that's a place for me to leave off and you to pick up with a quick intro. Yeah, sure.
1: And um, I'm really glad that you're getting the podcast going again because I've missed it. Um, and I missed you and Liston as well uh, with Offline. So um, it's great, great that you're doing some podcasting again. Um, Okay, so I live in the west coast of Ireland and I I recently moved from from one beautiful tourist hotspot to another uh, from Westport in County Mayo to Strand Hill in Sligo. So I have um, a mountain or or probably more of a hill. just behind me, and then I've got um, this uh, beautiful uh, beach and, and um, big bays in front of in front of me. So yeah, it's it's a great place to live, uh, and and with remote um rem- remote working, you know I think that more and more people are going to be able to move to these more uh, out of the way places and um, and still work remotely from uh, you know from Zoom and things like that. So as for what I actually do. So I had a business called Website Doctor, which was a website business in more in line of a consulting uh, consultancy type business rather than an agency. And I I realized one day um, when I was trying to write a blog post and I was trying to plan a podcast for it, uh, I realized that I had some problems and I didn't really know what that was. But how it presented was I was trying to write a blog post and I was trying to plan a, a podcast. And both of those were really difficult. And I eventually figured out that I had a specialization problem or or a lack thereof. And so that's how I, I found Philip uh, about three or four years ago now. And since then, I've, I've transformed my business. And I had a kind of like a holding brand called Marketing for Consultants um, while I was trying to course correct and, and and narrow it down into the, the niche that I wanted to focus on and so recently I've just re that from marketing for consultants to the recognized authority and so I have a website uh, called the recognized authority with a blog and a podcast and uh, that's the brand that I have now and so I'm doing coaching and consulting to consultants who uh, want to become an authority in their field.
0: Alistair, thank you for that. And thank you for taking the time to be here. We're going to talk about authority, but you've got this recent experience. So before we get there, you've got this recent experience with making a significant change in your business. Mm -hmm. As people do that, sometimes they are looking to lower the risk of that change. And sometimes they're trying to do the opposite and maximize the opportunity and the potential. How did you approach this change? Like, what were you looking for to get out of the change other than an ability to write a blog post without um, struggling knowing who it's for?
1: I I wanted to be an expert. And I, I knew that, you know, that was the model of business that I wanted. I wanted to be able to command high fees for what I was doing. And I wanted to be working. I didn't want to have a big agency where, you know, I had 10 or 20 people and I was doing business development, but not actually working on the projects. So I knew that I wanted this kind of consulting model of business and expertise model. And so I was trying to figure out how to do that. And so my business was called Website Doctor. And it's very difficult to be an expert in websites because it's just too broad a field. And so i was trying to figure out how do i narrow this down I, I i didn't even know where to start and so that was when i came across you and uh some of your books and blog posts and things like that so i don't think i was trying to de-risk it um i didn't really feel the risk i, I felt i was already in a place of risk so and and i'm i'm quite risk tolerant so I, I i you know um i think it was more about figuring out you know something that i i would feel comfortable working in for you know, years into the future. So I guess maybe that's maximizing opportunity that that would be one way to look at it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. Now I know why you're not working for Sun Microsystems anymore. It's the the fact that you can tolerate any risk at all is why you're not (laughs) working for them. Yeah, nobody's working for them anymore. Unfortunately, uh, they're all working
1: for Oracle now. Um, okay. Yeah, I used to. I, I used to work for some microsystems, and and it was you know that was a once great company, and it was uh, for anybody who doesn't know they were they were one of these huge um, engineering um, technology companies uh, at the height when I joined them. I think they had one hundred and forty six thousand staff. So it was a huge company, and um, they they just didn't have great business leadership. Uh, they had great engineering leadership and brilliant technology, but then they were they they kind of um, had a, had a large decline and were bought out ultimately by Oracle, who um, were uh, kind of chalk and cheese uh, from a yeah from just from a kind of a business practices viewpoint, I'd say. So, uh, forgive the digression.
0: <laughs> well, it's so great to see that kind of you know. I mean, the same sort of thing that happened, I suppose, to Hewlett-Packard. You know, a lot of smart, well-intentioned people totally screwing it up. It's great to see that firsthand because you realize how strategy and so forth are just part of the picture, not the whole picture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, for, for a while there, some were market leaders in the technology and, you know, nobody else was even close. And, um, you know, IBM and, and, and the like, um, but they they just couldn't get it together from a, a business strategy point of view, marketing and, and you know, um, and the rest of it. So it, ultimately it, it failed.
0: Yeah. I want to ask one more question about this transition in your business before mm-hmm. we start talking about authority. The question is, why do you, why did you want to become an expert? The thing that you mentioned was higher rates. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the answer, but is there more to it?
1: Yeah, no, that's, I guess I'm not really driven by money. So um, mo- money for me is just about freedom. That, that, so, you know, um, people have these different drivers um, and I, I can't remember all of them, but a lot of them, they start with F. So, you know, um, finances, freedom and, and various other things. Mm. Uh, for me, it's definitely about freedom, uh, the ability to to live anywhere, do, you know, choose my own bath. So um, I guess it was about that. And and then the other thing is I'm, I'm very... Um, knowledge-driven. So, you know, I've, I've, I'm have big into reading and uh, big into the, the knowledge side of the work. And, and so, yeah, I, I think um, that, that part of expertise appeals to me. So I think it's kind of a combination of those factors.
0: Thank you. Alistair, what is authority? It's so tempting for me to describe all the ways that it's hard to define that word. Mm-hmm. And maybe our listeners will hear us struggle with it. <laughs> I don't know. But... I'll just leave the question at that. What is authority?
1: Well, I I tell you what I haven't done. I I haven't gone looking for dictionary definitions or anything like that. Good. Um, What I have done is, um, again, uh, thanks to a connection with you, I have been uh, in this writing group um, with Rob Fitzpatrick uh, called Write Useful Books. And one of the things that he suggests that people do is having conversations with potential readers. And so I put a call out to my email list. Uh, I got a a great response. I had twenty five people come back to me and say that they were willing to um, to have a twenty minute chat with me about authority. So I've been talking to a lot of experts and people like that about you know how they view authority. So I think authority is um, it's something that you can't self ordain. If it's self ordained, it's not really authority. Okay. Um, and it's not the kind of political or police force type of authority. Um, what we're talking about is the authority where where people will put you maybe like on a pedestal and maybe that's not a great way to put it but people will see you as having a position where uh, they will listen to you on, on your topic and i also think that uh, authority you know if if you say the recognized authority in their field is the unsaid bit and i think you have to be specialized to be an authority and and there are these kind of edge cases that you can argue about But I think for the most part, you have to be a specialist to be an authority. You have to have a field. And so um, it's really uh, these experts who are recognized as um, being above uh, kind of the rest of the market. And they are the the go-to person. So that's for me what an authority is. Uh, and then I would position that against somebody who is also an expert, but is invisible. So I, I think that's the transition that I'm interested in is people going from being an invisible expert to being a recognized authority.
0: Okay, let's do the, maybe not the five whys thing, but I'm, I'm going to be the dumbest guy in the room, uh, which I often am. Why do people need authorities in their lives? Or when I say people and lives, of course, I'm including the context of business. So why does, but why does any human need any other human to be an expert on something?
1: Oh, now you've gone deep, Philip.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs)
1: Right. Now I got to warn the readers, you know, um, I come very much from a practical engineering background and uh, sometimes when Philip Uh, starts to go like real high level. I I just can't keep up with them. So I'm going to be as practical as possible in my answers here. Um, So I I think that people need experts because they don't have time to learn everything themselves and and so um it's easier to spend money to hire an expert you know we've got these uh two big resources we've got time and money and you can trade one for the other and usually if you have more of one you have less of the other and, and so i think that's where experts come in and and also people to to do things better so uh, i don't know if i'm answering that question properly for you philip but uh that's that's kind of my stab at it
0: oh and i want people to know i like some A lot of these questions are unanswered for me. I have my own theories, I suppose, about why. And they, they line up pretty much exactly with what you just said. Like, we don't have the inclination sometimes or the time or the resources. So, I mean, would you agree it's more efficient to have specialized access to specialized experts?
1: Well, I think so. I mean, like if I take my car, I know the type of engine oil that I need. I know the type of oil filter that I need. Uh, I know how to um, jack it up and um, open the, the oil. Um, and I, I still bring it to, to get an oil service uh, because I don't want to dispose of six liters of used motor oil. I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to potentially hurt myself. And I'll just rather go somewhere and pay somebody 100 bucks or 150 bucks or whatever it is and just get that done mm-hmm. just for the convenience. Um, they know what they're doing. I can do some work that may be worth more than that, so I can do something that's worth two hundred dollars while I'm waiting for them to finish the hundred and fifty dollar job. Um, you know, on my phone while I'm i in their waiting room. You know, there's all of that kind of thing. So I think it's I think maybe it's like arbitrage. Um, maybe that's that's one way to look at it.
0: Okay, now let me go way outside of the domain of engineering. <laughs> so you're an expert on something that I'm not, and. I come to see you as an authority in this hypothetical situation we're exploring. What emotional need for me does it serve for you to be an authority? Like maybe I don't need your help with that thing right now, but I still pay attention to you as an authority. Why would I do that if I don't actively need what you can help me with right now?
1: I think maybe part of that is curiosity. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't necessarily know the answer to your question here, but I think that I would speculate that curiosity is is part of it. You know, we can recognize when people are are saying things that are non-obvious or non-trivial and are, are beyond what what people who are non-authorities might be saying. You know, there's a lot of people publishing fairly trivial advice about social networking and things like that. Mm-hmm. And when somebody... Points out something that is not so obvious to you. That's when you sit up and take notice, Even even if it's something that you're not you're not focusing on right right then, you sit up and you take notice and you say, "Oh, that's interesting." So that person really knows their stuff on this because that's an insight I hadn't seen before.
0: One of my active inquiries is what things actually function as entertainment, even though they have some sort of like business label on them, like going to a conference or listening to a podcast or what have you, like how much of what we want out of that is actually just some sort of entertainment. And I hear a little bit of that in what you're saying that sometimes you said curiosity Mm -hmm. and, and I wonder if, if it goes even further to entertainment.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean the, the networking thing, there's a, there's the, the human need to network and, you know, socialize, and uh, we, we've certainly been lacking that in the last year or so. And, you know, th- that, that factors in, you know, when, you, when you've seen authority, I, I think it's, um, I'll go to one of the edge cases now, um, mm. which is Gary Vaynerchuk uh, or G- Gary V as he's called. Mm. Um, and he is fascinating to me because I do think that he is an authority on certain things. Mm-hmm. And I think that that a lot of people think that he's an authority on everything. And I think that he's an authority on video production, on scaling a business, on social media, on YouTube, like he's certainly an authority on all of those things. But you'll see him getting asked questions that are outside of what might be his authority areas. And he answers those questions with such conviction that you would believe that that he is the the you know, the absolute authority on literally everything, um, which is fascinating. So he's, he's one of these edge cases along with Tim Ferriss and uh, maybe even Joe Rogan and people like that, where they're these kind of celebrity authority where there there is something. So I think there's something there with the celebrity and entertainment thing, Mm. um, having people to look up to. So um, yeah. So what what do you think about that, Philip?
0: I think about that a lot. First of all, my, sorry, my mind went blank for a moment when you said uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. (laughs) I was overcome with something that threw me into a momentary fugue state. (laughs) Yeah. Social
1: media content. Yeah.
0: (laughs) He's a fascinating guy. And you know, accomplished and Mm. anybody at that level is going to be criticizable in 50 different ways. So I think I have my criticisms of him as well, but what I might've missed when my mind went blank for a moment there is what's, so with Gary Vaynerchuk, you you see him as properly authoritative in certain areas, video production, scaling, or two things you mentioned. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between that sort of, legitimate in your eyes authority and then these other things where he gets asked questions and answers very convincingly but you think there's not really authority there what's what makes the difference between those two things
1: in in one he has a background of success of of putting the time in you know i know i know that Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours thing has been debunked, mm-hmm. but there there is still a thing about spending a lot of time doing doing something, and you know he he clearly spent hours, days, years, even uh, making videos and and uh, doing the social media thing for his um for his wine library TV um business, and you know there there's like he 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 clearly has put the time and he researched that. Um, I think that there are other areas where he's he hasn't got the 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 background or the time, and you will see like there, there are some people and maybe this is a bit nasty, but but they analyse some of his video answers because uh, he has so much video content he has an answer for everything, uh-huh. and so uh, I've seen people do analysis of his uh, his answers where he doesn't really he says something that seems like it's profound but when you actually analyze it it's, it's it's quite thin and there's not really a whole lot to it and i think that he, he just doesn't have the the expertise and i think that's what it is i mean i think authority if, if we go back to like what, what the definition is authority is like visible expertise um where people know that you're an expert and uh, and then we have these invisible experts as well and and so it's it's about that earned visibility and he has earned his visibility on certain topics, but he hasn't earned his visibility. It's, it's, it's just being passed from his, his celebrity status. Um, that visibility is being passed across to his other, his other answers, you know,
0: there's a spillover effect, right? Mm.
1: Yeah. Like a halo effect,
0: right? Yeah. That's, that's a term I'll use when trying to reassure people that no matter how narrowly they focus, they will get opportunity outside of that defined focus. There'll be a spillover effect. Mm -hmm. You're saying that, He's a legitimate expert in a list of topics, but then it spills over to these adjacent topics where the expertise is thinner, but he doesn't pull back from giving a full-throated answer with the same seeming authority. And not to pick on him, I know others are guilty of this. I myself, I'm sure, have been guilty of this in the past.
1: Yeah, I think I've seen it said, you know, to experts, as an expert, you should stay in your lane. Right. Right and and that's i think that's like an unfortunate phrase um i think it's been abused um, and misused but it, it is a thing like you know when we are an expert in one field we we can make uh speculative guesses at uh you know and educated guesses maybe even but we have to label them as such when it's outside of our our field of, of expertise you know um and you rarely see somebody or, you know, again, these don't, these don't garner media attention, but you don't, you don't typically see experts talking about their, about areas outside of their expertise, you know, that doesn't really um, get broadcast or or get shared.
0: Okay. I'm Gary Vaynerchuk for the next moment. How do I know (laughs) that I have authority? Could I measure my authority if I'm Gary Vaynerchuk?
1: I, I think it's, Dif- difficult i mean yeah sure you can you can look at how many people are listening to you and, okay. and, and how much you know but i think if you if you step away from from the celebrity authority and go to a different type of authority then uh you know it becomes more clear-cut uh, i think because he's he's one of these edge case celebrity authorities it's a bit different because he just has such a huge audience okay and you know and and so maybe part of it as well is because he is a because he's an authority in multiple areas that maybe once you become an authority in enough separate areas that all the gaps start to seem to be filled in don't know if that makes sense from a i'm kind of imagining where you've got you know um you know you've you've got these columns uh, and each one of those columns is is a different uh, authority or expertise but if you have enough of those, uh, it, it starts to look like one one solid block. And and maybe that's what that celebrity expertise is, right. um, where he's become. Uh, and I've seen that in, in these kind of super generalists as well, where, you know, you, you find somebody who's a specialist in, in a lot of different areas, you know, over a long career. So um, the gaps seem to fill in.
0: He's a super authority. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, bad example. So. I'm an expert on more efficient irrigation methods for um, industrial farmers. How do I know if I have authority? This is a hypothetical thing, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think you know you've authority if you have an
1: audience. If, okay. if people are listening to you, okay. Um, and 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 it may not necessarily be a large audience, but if the the right people are listening to you, you know, if if you're approached by. Um, you know, your state government, because uh, they think that you can help them implement a, a statewide program to, um, you know, to, to combat, you know, the cl- climate change impact on mm-hmm. um, on irrigation, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe, you know, you have a tiny audience, but it's the right people. So I think it's it's being approached by people and it's um just having some kind of audience there. You, you have that visibility. That's that's what it goes back to.
0: Okay. Yeah. I see this theme emerging that there's the expertise, but it's the visibility for that expertise that pushes someone into the domain of being thought of as an authority. So I'm um, this expert on irrigation. I have no audience. I mean, I, I have a few consulting clients who come back to me year after year and I want that visibility. I mean, it's one obvious question I think is what do I do? But mm-hmm. the you know the precursor question is why do I want that visibility? And you mentioned doing twenty some uh, conversations with folks about authority. What did you hear them saying about that question? Why do people even bother to take Gary Vaynerchuk as the example? Like why why did he want to become Gary Vaynerchuk? But on a smaller <laughs> scale, why does anyone want to do? that extra, I assume it takes work. It's not just something you decide to do on Monday and then Tuesday it's done.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think he wanted to sell his wine business for, you know, 50 or a hundred million dollars. And I think he achieved that. I don't know exactly how much he sold it for, but you know, okay. that, that worked for him. Uh-huh. Um, and I think for, uh, a lot of experts who choose the path of authority and, and just to say most don't. Most don't choose that path. Most choose the path of staying a generalist and sourcing their business, their leads from their network, from referrals and word of mouth. And, and that's what most people do in, mm. in the expert uh, field, about 95%. Uh, and that's based on on some research that I did um, at your uh, suggestion uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Mm. And, and and all of the conversations that I've had since then confirm that over and over again. So the small number of experts uh, who do choose uh, authority uh, as a path, what they do is um, they're saying that they want to increase their visibility. They want to increase their impact, work with better clients. Um, they want to command higher fees um, by virtue of being uh, an authority. Um, you know, we have the phrase, they wrote the book on it. And, you know, that's, that's literally the, the, the go-to person in, in a field is they wrote the book on it, you know, and, and so, and that, that just gives you the power to, you know, have, have significantly higher fees. So, um, and I think, you know, some people will do it from an ego point of view they want, you know, to, to they want the esteem. You are put on a pedestal by people mm-hmm. um, when you're in authority, quite literally, um, you can be put on a pedestal and, and to give a keynote speech, um, you're invited to conferences. So... Yeah, there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of things that are in there, but I think it's it's about you know um, wanting to do more, and and the other thing that's really interesting is like what you need to do to increase your your visibility is you need to publish, so you need to publish your thinking, and by virtue of the fact of publishing, uh, you actually develop your thinking, so you become more of an expert and your authority develops more as you actually increase your visibility so the uh, i think that typically the visible expert the authority is actually more of an expert and more of an authority than the invisible now that won't hold true in every case but i would say um uh, you know on on, on balance that would be true Uh, because the authority is writing and publishing and formulating their thinking and going deeper and doing things like research you know, for, for books and, and things like that. And having having those conversations, maybe they have a podcast that they're using to earn visibility. And because they have a podcast, they're talking to people all the time and learning. And, and so I think that all feeds feeds into this kind of feedback uh, mechanism that actually increases their expertise, the depth of their expertise, um, which also comes across then when people uh, consume their content and come across it.
0: I want to make sure I heard right. Out of your research, I mean, research can mean a lot of things. You you measured how many samples for this research, roughly. So
1: um, the way I did it was I did a series of surveys, mm-hmm. um, which went to about uh, I think I got about 100 to 120 replies to each each individual survey, mm-hmm. and I did about nine to ten surveys. I can't remember the exact the exact number now. Um, and and how I did it was the first survey that I did, I didn't have a lot of information. I was kind of, um I was, um, you know, in the dark. So I, I did a fairly broad information gathering kind of survey. Uh, as I started to see the results coming back from that, what I did was I took that information and used that to ask better questions. And I built each set of questions based on the the results of the previous surveys and as i learned more and more to try and learn about the kind of the problem space uh, and what people were facing and um so overall i think at this point because the surveys some of the surveys are still live and i think at this point i've got about 1100 responses from uh management consultants but there's about 100 responses or or over 100 responses for each individual survey so i hope that makes sense
0: yeah it does to me and i think it was explained very well at will to our listeners
1: that plus by the way um a lot of conversations so apart from the you know 40 or 50 conversations that i've had with people about this on my podcast um and those are you know a lot of top people in their fields um apart from that i've also had uh 25 um, book research uh, conversations and then I had another 20 to 30 uh, conversations with people at, at the end of the initial um, survey so there's a lot of data and um, a lot of conversations going into the makeup of of this but it's not all um it's not all tidy um you know it's it's not all organized very um you know very neatly but yeah, so I think, like I, I would be prepared to back up uh, what what I'm saying here. I think there's there's evidence for it.
0: Yeah, you're you're using mixed methods, which are not as easy to defend as pure uh, quantitative. You know, every thousand, all thousand of those people got the exact same survey. Mm-hmm. That's easy to defend because it appeals to this idea that the more measurements, the better the data, which is not always the case. Um, did you hear about Dan Ari- Ariely and his... Mm. Uh, have you heard about that? Um, which study? Oh, so uh, Dan Ariely, the, the sort of uh, grandfather of behavioral economics, has, uh, has looks like he faked some data or was involved in the faking of some data that went into a pretty uh. primary... P- anyway... <laughs> That's a distraction. Wow, okay. yeah, yeah, interesting. <laughs> we won't go there, <laughs> okay. but yeah. um, it's easier to defend, oh, yeah, a 1,000 people got the exact same survey. And what you've done is mixed methods where it's a bit more qualitative. And you know what people forget is that there's a tremendous richness and nuance that comes out of the qualitative work. Anyway, you've done mm-hmm. research. Can you please real quickly say the name of the podcast for folks?
1: Yeah, the podcast is called The Recognized Authority.
0: Thank you. Out of that research, you would say 90 to 95% of what kind of, like a consultant or an expert firm, yeah. how would you describe?
1: Yeah, and, and I would say um, probably more like 95 to 99% um, of business. I would say, how, how I would put it is that business being sourced. Uh-huh. So um, for independent consultants, management consultants at firm size, um, one size two to fifty, mm-hmm. and size fifty-one to two hundred, because those were the the sizes of business that I um, sampled in LinkedIn. And um, for all of those, uh, referrals and networking and, and word of mouth was the number one source of business. And I was I was actually quite shocked that for the larger businesses that it was still so important. And yeah. uh, and the reason for that, as I I dove into it more, is because. Of this need for trust, um, because most consulting projects are quite transformative and um, high risk, expensive, and you need to have a lot of trust. And so, what the personal referral does is it passes trust along with the relationship, and that's what you're that's why. Um, if experts want to do want to do inbound marketing, they have to recreate that trust. And so they do that by building authority. So that's kind of effectively where, how, how, how it goes from one to the other.
0: Okay. So here's the question uh, that seems to follow that, that 90 to 95% uh, volume of the business. Why aren't these businesses uh, cultivating authority instead? Once I started seeing how a, a drive for efficiency drives so much other behavior, it was hard to unsee that, impossible. You just, you're mm. like, oh, we do it because it's more efficient. And maybe that's the answer here. But from your perspective, Alistair, why, why aren't more people cultivating authority?
1: I, I think that some people are trying to cultivate authority. But I think really, I think it comes back to specialization and fear of specialization. Mm. Because you do have to pick something. You do have to have your field. And a lot of, um, particularly in the management consulting space, a lot of people are generalists. they're, they're generalist management consultants. Maybe they, they specialize in, in a wide area like say digital transformation or something quite broad uh-huh. And you can't be a, you can't be an authority in something that broad. you have to niche down and, uh, and that terrifies people and and hmm. you know it comes I think it comes back to that fear of niching down because you're turning away opportunity and how can you grow your business by turning away opportunity it, it doesn't make sense um but a, as we know it does um yeah. but it's just it's just this counterintuitive uh, and and this fear so I, I think that's that's so far that that's my conclusion I mean is, is that something that that you would agree with have, have you found the same?
0: I think I'm a little overpowered by this idea of how much we're seeking efficiency, it almost feels like one of those primal things in humanity that pushes all of humanity forward is this drive for efficiency. It's almost like the the desire to reproduce or, you know, some really, really primal desire because once we find an easier way to do something, it frees up energy to, to do other things. Mm-hmm. And you know that's the, the sort of layman's way of saying it, but I would call it a drive for efficiency. And you described how a referral just automatically confers trust. So that seems like a very efficient way to build trust, if it works and Relot works reliably and so forth. So maybe that's how I see it. Is you know once that that business development is happening in an efficient way. Maybe a lot of folks say, great, problem solved. Now I can move on to billing hours or optimizing internal efficiency so I can bill more hours or something like that. It is, I have to be honest, Alistair, it's a little bit of a mystery to me why more people aren't at least interested in the idea of cultivating expertise that is worthwhile and then earning visibility for that expertise. Like i I kind of don't get why more people don't do it. But I don't understand a lot of things about my fellow humans, so um, <laughs> I'll just have to humbly admit that. So I guess that's that's my take on it. But I was also curious out of your research, what percentage are specialized in the way that you think would would be the prerequisite for cultivating authority? did you oh, did uh, you see yeah. a measurement for that in your research?
1: Okay, so sixty one percent said they were generalist. And um, only 14% said they were vertically specialized, mm-hmm. and, um, which is the, the specialization that really fascinates me. But yeah, so 61% said they're generalists, and, and I actually think it's higher than that. I, I think some people say that they are specialized when they're not necessarily specialized in, the way that, in, in a way that, that really differentiates them.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. Alistair, what is, in your view the path from okay I think I want to do something other than to d- be dependent on referrals I think I want to do this authority thing what's the path from that moment to cultivating or to actually others seeing you as an authority
1: okay so in in let in myself it's...
0: I'm so sorry I assume mm-hmm. there is a path maybe there's not <laughs> maybe it's chaos from there on out. I, so what's your thoughts about all of that?
1: I think there is a path. And um, I actually uh, visualize this as um, you're standing in front of a mountain range. And uh, so you have to find a path through the mountains. And and there are several different paths. Okay. And um, and some of them are dead ends. And you, you may you may choose a dead end and then have to turn back. And, and I have a great example of that on the podcast, actually, is Sarah Dunn. And she chose... Um, and tested a um, a market position, and she found that she didn't like it. And so she said, "Okay, that that was an interesting test that I've learned from." But I'm, now I'm going to try a different specialisation. And so she, and then she found the one that she did uh, want to work with, and um, and so she chose that, and and she hasn't looked back since. It's it's very successful. Mm. And so, so some people, I think, will make quicker decisions and will test more. Uh, kind of positions, and then others will will be slower to make that decision. And actually, I think I was quite slow to make that decision. I kind of took a more broad stab at it, and then kind of course corrected. So um you know, you can think that you're like I, I think I'm quite risk tolerant, but maybe I'm I'm not when it when when push comes to shove, you know. But I, I think part of it is is your risk tolerance, and part of it is just you know your, your kind of approach to this. But I think if you if you look at specialization. As uh, as an experiment, you talk about, you know, uh, choosing a beachhead and, and, you know, looking at it as a, as a, a, a test um, and experimentation. I think that's the right way to approach it, because when a test um, doesn't work out, what you do is you take your learnings from that and you apply it to something else, you know.
0: Yeah, that's the positive take on it. Did you suffer any negative consequences from the experimentation?
1: I, I don't think that I suffered personally, except in the cost of time. Because okay. maybe I could have chosen um, more. Maybe I could have gotten more specific sooner. And, and um, But I think maybe I cost myself some time and maybe I didn't, you know. So, yeah.
0: Well, who knows? I mean, you, that's the unanswerable question. Like, oh, what if I could have duplicated this experiment that can only actually happen once <laughs> and run <laughs> it in parallel? Anyway, so yeah. what does the rest of that path look like? So I I think that the mountain
1: range. So if if you're visualizing this and and, and you're standing in front of this mountain range, you got to get through it. You know, you can choose the the mines of Moria. You know, you can go go underground or you can. <laughs> Uh, find some giant eagles to help you fly over it, or whatever your your path is. You is, know? is the underground?
0: Um, uh, is that like Facebook ads or spamming people <laughs> on LinkedIn? What what is what's that path? Yeah,
1: no, no, no. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at this as so this is the choosing of your specialization. That's that first okay. mountain range that yeah. you've got to get through. And so I think this is the the biggest difficulty that, that that there is because I see it as two phases. You've got to get over the the problem um or solve the problem of picking your niche of, of niching down and specializing. Once you've picked your field, and then you can start to do the work of earning visibility. And I think that's the easy part because you know you can start a podcast, you can start a YouTube channel, you can get invited on podcasts. You know, there's so much that you can do, but all of those things are dependent on having that solid platform of having picture specialization. And so I think that's why that's the mountain range that you've got to get through. It's the really hard part. And that's the part that, that uh, you know, that you focus on helping people with and that I'm focusing on helping people with is figuring out that. Because I think that's the the, the bit that we all find difficult or, you know, a lot of us do, do find difficult. Some people naturally will find their specialization but they're you know they don't need us but I, I think that people need a guide through those mountains you know
0: maybe i spend too much time in front of a screen one of the things that feels like an ever larger problem for me is the amount of no- the signal to noise ratio of the internet writ large that feels like a problem maybe i don't have maybe i'm sort of too close to it to properly assess the size of it. Maybe it's not that big of a problem. Maybe it is. How do, once people have made that decision about specialization, do you think that's a, a problem they deal with the signal to noise ratio of the internet or is, or is that really just me being a little too sensitive to the noise?
1: I, I think that we do naturally have a sensitivity to noise in our specialized areas in, okay. in our fields and I think that in reality, it's not as big a deal maybe as, as we make it out to be.
0: Okay.
1: Um, there is a dearth of high quality content and, you know, if, if you look at on, on LinkedIn and you scroll through your LinkedIn feed, like look at how many, um, videos that you see that are engaging and useful, uh, and, uh, maybe even entertaining and, uh, look at how many posts that you see that, that are insightful and, you know, I think that it's it's not a whole lot. It's a small
0: percentage. I was hoping you were going to give the answer. I just I went into that microfuge state again, and you know, as soon as you said, <laughs> scroll through your LinkedIn feed and actually pay attention to what's there instead of just yeah. using it as a broadcast medium, which is what I tend to do. Okay, all right, Well, maybe that's maybe that I'm a little overrating the signal to noise problem. What are the problems though that people will face as they start to cultivate authority? What have you seen, or what have folks talked about?
1: Yeah, I mean, once once they really get over that hump of choosing the uh, specialization, choosing their field, then it's about starting to publish your thoughts, formulate your thinking, develop your thinking, uh, maybe even then starting to build your network as well um, within that field, within that area that you're looking at. And so I think that it's... it's it's about developing that positioning and then the, the point of view that comes with it. And this is something that you talk a lot about and figuring out your point of view, um, like what you stand for, um, how you view the problem and kind of finding your voice or uncovering your voice. Some people might say developing your voice, but I think your voice is already there. It's just a mm-hmm. question of uncovering it. And, and you know, some people have a lot of digging to, to do to find their voice because, you know, it's been covered over with corporate training and academia and all this kind of stuff. So, right. um, but I, I think that's really important as well is is, is uh, bringing that to it because it's not just about like you you can't, I think that you can't just take your original generalist expertise and say, I'm specializing in this area. And then, you know, you're, you're not instantly in authority in that area because you've, you've, you know, you've already got some, some, some expertise and, and, you know, you're saying you're specialized now. So I think you actually have to develop your thinking and you have to talk to people, you have to uh, publish um, and and by virtue of publishing, like you and Jonathan Stark talk about uh, daily emails as a as a big part of of what you do in terms of earning visibility, but I think as well um, in terms of uh, developing your thinking. So I, I think that all goes into the mix.
0: I know that some folks hate getting this question. What have I missed? What should I have, should I have asked? But I've been enjoying this conversation as a participant and doing less uh, architecting of the conversation so is there something else you think we should talk about Alistair
1: no I don't think so I mean th- this what I'd say is you know um if if this is a topic that interests you read Philip's book um listen to his podcasts <laughs> if you need help with the specialization decision uh, then you could do what I did which is actually hire Philip for coaching and, and to coach you through the to actually coach you through the process because I think that it's very difficult to get through this mountain range of specialization without a guide. Um, you know, go hire hire the Sherpa to help you. Um, you can do it without the guide, but you're more likely to, you know, um, have difficulty getting up the slopes or or taking the wrong path. You know, so uh, that's one thing I would suggest that people do.
0: What else? Anything that might involve you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, um listen to my podcast, which is the recognized authority and, and, and you will hear you'll hear me talking to people like Philip and Jonathan Stark and um other people like Sarah Dunn and Wolfram Moritz. Um and, and they've they both talk about their specialization journey. Wolfram talks about how um as a um as a small firm, I think they had six staff and they beat out a, a global uh, behemoth um, who had 286,000 staff for a contract uh, purely because they were specialized. And And I, I love those stories. So yeah, listen to the podcast um, and check out um, therecognizedauthority.com and you can also find me on, on LinkedIn. And uh, I'd love to hear your feedback and your, your thoughts if anybody who's out there is listening to this, um, wants to get in touch. Um, you'll find me on all the socials.
0: Alistair, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this, and I just appreciate what you had to offer to our listeners. Thanks so much. Thank you, Philip.